0: service first john chapter 3 i'm just going to read the first 10 verses then we'll come back and look at them in little sections here behold what manner of love the father has bestowed upon us that we should be called the sons of god or children of god therefore the world doesn't know us why because it knew him not so they don't get us right beloved now are we the sons of god and it doth not yet appear what we shall be but we know that when he shall appear, we shall be like him, for we shall see him as he is. And this great purifying hope, and every man that has this hope in him purifieth himself, even as he is pure. Whosoever committeth sin transgresseth also the law, for sin is transgression of the law. And you know that he was manifested to take away our sins, and in him is no sin. Whosoever abideth in him sinneth not, whosoever sinneth. Hath not seen him, neither known him. Does that mean we're perfect? Little children, let no man deceive you. He that doeth righteousness is righteous, even as he is righteous. He that committeth sin is of the devil, for the devil sinneth from the beginning. For this purpose the Son of God was manifested, made known, that he might destroy the works of the devil. Whosoever is born of God doth not commit sin. For his seed, God's seed, the Holy Spirit, remaineth in him, and he cannot sin, hmm, because he is born of God. Now in this, the children of God are manifest, made known, and the children of the devil. So you know the difference between the two by how they live. Whosoever doeth not righteousness is not God. And notice what he adds to that. Neither he that loveth not his brother. So those who are disobedient we kind of get that but you can't get along with your brothers and sisters in christ now I'll, so that's added in there too right? that's what the children of god jay vernon mcgee says if you got your you're open to it just go back to verse 29 of chapter 2 jay vernon mcgee says verse 29 of chapter 2 belongs with chapter 3 this section if you know that he is righteous if you know that god is righteous then you know that everyone that doeth righteousness is born of him, of God. It's one thing, he wrote, to testify that we know Christ. It is quite another to have a life down here that reveals he is our righteousness. John is telling us that the way we recognize other believers is by their lives, wrote J. Vernon McGee, and not their lips. Righteousness, he continues, is a family characteristic of the father god the father we are his children do people have a sense of whose family you belong to not because of just what you say well i went to church last sunday no it's because of how you live the circumstances that they face in life they want to know that there is hope there's there's something better There's something that they can look forward to. There's a way through it. There's a way I can get through this circumstance. And they're going to see it in your life. And that's what makes a difference. And that's how they know you're a child of the righteous God. Well, there's a contrast between the two families in our passage today. Key verses down in verse 10. We'll come back and forth to that one. But in verse 10, children of God and children of who? Children of God and children of the, the devil, right? And we say that with a snarl, right? And the devil, right? The old devil. And their actions will always betray them, right? They'll always give them away. It's interesting, though, that John doesn't spend his time on talking about what is the counterfeit. This whole section is about knowing what is the genuine, right? Because what happens when you try to study the counterfeit? There is a there's a whole. I'm sure they lots of money goes out to pay people to know what is the genuine and what in the U.S. Treasury. You know how they know what's the genuine, what's real, and what's fake. They study the genuine, the real, because you know that just about the time you figure out that these plates are fake, what are they going to do? You're change them. And just about the time you think you got the old devil figured out, what's he do? He comes at you in a different way. What you need to know is the truth of God's Word. You need to know God. You need to be familiar with it. You need to know that when you pick up something, you say to yourself, that's real, that's genuine, or you know that's not real, that's not of God. You spend all your time trying to identify the negative traits of the counterfeit. You can be sure they're going to change next time. You're going to be blindsided. Key verse there, verse 10, manifest. You know the word. In fact, you probably have a translation on your lap there that probably says something like made known, right? Manifest, made known. It reveals the genuine. It suggests not only knowing, loving, living the truth, but loving also who? Not just loving the truth, but loving what? Brothers and sisters in Christ, so you don't just love God and the truth of God's word, but you and but you can't stand these Christians because they're all hypocrites anyway, right? Hey, we are, then we are, right? We're not. If you're perfect, you're not a hypocrite, but if you're not perfect, you're you're one of me, and we're we're hypocrites sometimes, right? So we just know that that's going to happen. John identifies these followers of truth with a familiar phrase. He uses this phrase more than any other apostle. It is the phrase born of God or born again, or some old timer might say born again, right? Some You ever heard that? All right, born again, born again. We see it here in verse 10. We see it in verse 9, Who's ever born of God. Uh, we've seen it before back in chapter 2, uh, verse 29. We saw it there, born of God, born again. We'll see it again when we come to chapters 4 and 5. What I love about the passage before us, Today is John is not suggesting that we should be or ever can be perfect. It is the sense of genuine. Pretenders will always be found out, right? You you know that's to be true. When that guy proposes to you, <laughs> remember, remember we had the phrase, if a man says, remember the deceptive nature of that phrase, if a man says. So a guy, a guy proposes to you, and you just know. You just know he's full of it. and Not in every case. And you know that in time he'll be found out. You'll, and by the way, you'll find out that neither one of you are perfect, right? You, you know that. Have you found that out? Have you found that to be true? The people you're with, the people you're No one is perfect. Have you figured that out? John is not saying you've got to be perfect. He's not suggesting that here. He's suggesting that the the word that you and I might use is the word genuine. Pretenders are always found out. Let's be honest. If we had to be perfect, we would never get married. No, we we would fail, right? We would fail at any given thing, at any given circumstance. We know we would fail. It's not on a circumstance that I fail, but it's as the pattern of my life begins to express, and you begin to realize that it expresses itself in many different ways, and you know, I'm not perfect, but what do you know? This guy's for real, right? He's genuine. That's what you begin to realize. Oh, not perfect, genuine, the real deal, just genuine. When John says in verse 90, "It won't commit sin, right? Won't commit sin. You cannot sin, he says, cannot sin, is that, not? it's not us. So what is he, that's, that's, that is as if to practice sin. That you're not going to practice, you're not going to live in sin and get away with it, right? That's the concept of it. The, speci- the specific reason he concludes there in verse 9 uh, is because we've been born of who? We're born of God. We're part of a different family. We have different family traits. We're, we're different from that of the world. Someone may say, I know some unsaved person. And he's a really great guy. And in fact, they might go on to point out some comparative failures of the friends of faith. You say, well, these people let me down. Well, this guy's never let me down. But eventually, the truth always comes out. My friends, if they're not born of God, they will eventually fall into a pattern of this world. It is, in fact, the default setting of our old nature. Let me read to you. You can turn to it. Ephesians chapter 2, first three verses. It's just simply, and you hath he quickened. You, you Christians, he's made you alive. Who were dead in your trespasses and sin. Wherein in time past you walked according to the course of this world. So before you were made alive, you walked according to the patterns of this world. According to the prince of the power of the air, who's that? The devil. The spirit that now worketh in the children of disobedience. Among whom also we all had our conversation, our manner of life in times past, in the lust of the flesh, fulfilling desires of the flesh and the mind, and we're by nature the children of wrath, even as everybody else. Now, the specific reason that he concludes that we are different is because we've been born of God.
1: We're different. We have a new nature. What makes the difference
0: is our nature our Heavenly Father, our tendencies, our pattern of life, our conversation, it's because of God. And we're going to identify God in this passage in three ways. The Trinity, right? God the Father, God the Son, and God the Holy Spirit. You'll find them right here in this passage. First of all, look at it. We're different because God the Father loves me. You put it in your own personal term. God loves you, right? We know we're different because God loves me the first three verses again behold what manner peculiar love that the father has bestowed upon us that we should be called the sons of god we've been adopted therefore the world doesn't know us because it doesn't know him beloved now are we the sons of god but it doth not yet appear what we shall be so there's a future tense to it but we know that when he shall appear we will be like him for we will see him as he is and every man that has this hope in him the hope of what return of god the father right christ is coming soon the the hope that we will stand one day before god the father purifies himself even as he is pure we know that christ is coming but i will stand before the throne of god along with the hope that i am loved by god is the fact that with any other parent who loves his children you know the parent's coming back by the way my wife's out of town this weekend so i'm all out of sorts but uh, I know my wife's coming back, and I better get that list out that she had set before me to say, "Hey, could you get this done before I get back?" No, she didn't. She didn't. She doesn't do that. But you know, I know my wife's coming back, so I, I should at least pick up my dirty clothes. Don't you think that would be helpful, right? Maybe, maybe run the vacuum. You know, you know what I'm saying. You know, God is coming. We know we're going to stand before the Lord one day, and because of that, I, I got a list of things I better be working on. That's that's what we suggest. What manner, this peculiar love, one-of-a-kind love, a really different, unexpected kind of love that we would be adopted into the family of God. It is not our natural state. It is a family name, family characteristics that the world simply cannot comprehend because they don't know our Father. And therefore, the world will never understand what it means to be a child of God. They don't get it. don't understand you what? God what? They just don't understand it. When you act different, why do you do that? Why don't you say something? they will say things like that. Why don't you stand up for yourself? Why don't you, you know, no, 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 no. Just as there's a certain natural pattern to life without God, there's a certain supernatural pattern to life with God. Romans 8. By the way, I I often go back and refer to Romans somewhere in Romans 6. I'll refer again to Romans 7 here in Romans 8. You want to know about your Christian life? You want to know more about your Christian life? Romans 6, 7, and 8. And when you get done reading it, read it again. Romans 6, 7, and 8. You don't have a Bible? I got a Gideon here, he'll give you one. Or steal one out of the pew. I've got more. We'll we'll replace it. Romans 6, 7. Well, Roman 8, Paul said, We're no longer walk after the flesh, but after the what? After the spirit. The unsaved man will always eventually default to the pleasures of this world because he simply has no supernatural perspective on life. The things that shall be. The love of God changes my outlook on life with an eternal perspective. The believer lives his life against the backdrop of things to come. Verse uh, 2, what shall be. Back in chapter 2, verse 28, the Lord shall appear. We saw it here. What shall be revealed there in Romans 8. God's love for us is eternal. We shall literally be remade in his image. And by the way, that's as originally designed. You can read about it in Genesis 1. If that's not enough to convince you of the love of God that he has for you, consider the, the difference it makes in the way you live right now. The way you live right now. Because some people think, well, it's just salvation is for, the, you know, for some day down the road. Uh, no, it's for right now. There is a hope that we have. Right? Verse 3. There is a hope that we have. By the way, hope for the believer. Listen, I put this in bold in my notes It is so very important. The greatest asset you have as a Christian is the word hope. Hope. There's hope in that circumstance. There's hope in that tragedy. There's hope in the thing you're praying for right now. There's hope in the thing that you're going through because you have an eternal perspective. The world lives life at some point. They will always come to the place of losing hope they've got nothing better to look forward to, right? So when you have no hope, you give up on the job, you give up on the marriage, you give up on the whatever else, you say, no, I'm just going to quit because you no longer have any hope that things will ever be different or that you ever stay. So that's why, what was the conclusion in the Gospels? Eat, drink, and be merry for tomorrow you may die. I have no greater hope than my happiness right here and now. And eventually, you run out of hope Evil will always rise to the top and take over the circumstance. It ruins politics, it ruins relationships, it ruins marriage, it ruins jobs. Evil will always rise to the top when you've lost hope. The Father's love gives us hope. If you don't believe in God as revealed in the pages of this book, you will eventually run out of hope.
1: When you accept the love of God, some of life's
0: most basic questions are settled. Where did I come from? Right? Who am I? I have identity because I am a child of who? God. The God who made this world. The God who is in control. The God of the universe. The God who holds all things in his hand. I am a child of God. Who am I? (laughs) That's pretty great, huh? I'm a child of God. Well, where am I going to go? Where am I headed? I'm going to see God one day. Who am I? Where am I going? And why am I here verse three, so verse one, verse two, verse three that is to reveal the love of God and the life I live here on earth. do you understand god's love for you? let's say you're just hanging out with some friends here's how you can here's how you can know the difference if you know and understand the love of God the Father let's say you were younger and you were hanging out with some friends and they you know they try to get you to do things right It's always somebody else trying to you're never the you're never the fault right It's always somebody else. So it's somebody else who's trying to get you to do something you know you shouldn't do. And you just say, you know, I always tell my kids, look, if, you, if, if somebody's trying to get you to do something, you're not sure it's going to be good for you, you just tell them, just say your old man. Say your dad. Say, you know, put it on me. That's fine. And so you walk away. And as you're walking away, they begin to tease you. Oh, yeah, you're afraid you're going to get in trouble when you get home. And in your mind, at least you ought to think this way. I'm not afraid of my father. I'm afraid I'm going to hurt my father's heart. I am no longer afraid of judgment. When I stand before the throne of God, I'm not afraid. Not because I didn't do something wrong, but because I know I'm going to hurt his heart. The reason he sent his son. I'm going to get it all, right? I'm going to say, oh, man. And that whole thing, that flashes, and now you, you just realize... I think those are the tears that he wipes away. I think that's the concept when he says, I wipe away all tears. I think that's, I think that's where I'm crying. I'm crying over all the failures of my life. I'm crying over all the mistakes and all the, all the fa- you know, just the stuff that i have oh, I just can't believe it. And I'm standing there before God. And I'm not afraid that he's going to now send me off to hell. I just know that I have hurt. I have hurt his heart. That's the reason he sent his son. It's the reason he loves me with this peculiar love, adopted me as a child of God. I'm not afraid of judgment. The only fear I have is that I've hurt the Father's heart. That's when you know that you understand this peculiar love. Well, the world is constantly suggesting ways to have fun, but your understanding of the Father, you're headed to home, right? This world is not your home. I'm just passing through. Your understanding is that you don't want to disappoint the Father. You don't want to you want the words well done, right? Well done, thou good and faithful servant. Not what have you done? Why, what did you do that for? Maybe you're not quite convinced God loves you, right? Not only does God the Father love you, but God the Son died for you. Right? Because if God sat in the heavens and said, I love you, hope to see you one day, but he says, I sent my son so you could understand what. My love is all about, right? So God the Son died for you. So let's read on, verse 4. Now, whosoever committed sin transgresses the law. So why did Jesus come? To conquer the penalty of the law. For sin is the transgression of the law. And you know that he was manifested. He, Jesus, God's Son, was manifested, made known to take away our sins. And in him, in Jesus, was no sin. Whosoever abideth in him sinneth not. So to the extent that you're living in relationship to Jesus Christ, you won't sin. Whosoever sinneth, that is a pattern of life over time, and you think you're getting away with it, then you don't know Jesus. Little children, let no man deceive you. He that doeth righteousness is righteous, even as he, God the Son, Jesus, is righteous. And verse 8 He that committeth sin, that is by pattern of life, is of the devil. You've given power to the devil. For the devil sinneth from the beginning. It's a little, you are not really sure about this devil. You know, we're sort of introduced to him when he first falls out of heaven, right? For this purpose, the Son of God was manifested that he might destroy the works of the devil. Another clarifying difference in the life of the child of God is that we know and understand the necessity of Jesus dying for my sins.
1: I know it's the only way
0: I could ever be made righteous. I understand that there's there's nothing I, I cannot hold up under my own. I can't do it. I can't make myself righteous. I can't do enough righteousness to offset the bad. We're not sinners. Listen, we're not sinners because we sin. We sin because we're sinners and that by nature. First of all, it's impossible that we could not sin. Second, righteousness demands the payment for our sin. That beautiful word we learned in our Sunday school class, Tom, right? I think you mentioned it again this morning. The propitiation, there it is, right? The payment, the satisfactory payment for sin. It is required by the law. How do we satisfy the law? By propitiation. That is by Jesus, what he has done. He paid the price, satisfied the letter of the law. The blood of Jesus Christ, God's Son, First John, one seven, cleanses us from all sin. God is manifest, made known by His Son. And two reasons, verses four, five, and six, because it, it fulfills all the demands of righteousness. What righteousness, what the law demands, Christ has fulfilled. Remember, He didn't come to He didn't come to to say the Old Testament, well, that's Old Testament, that's that's just the Jews, that doesn't apply to you. No, he said it does apply, and I have fulfilled the letter of the law, so the letter of righteousness, and to destroy the hold that the devil has on us. So verse 7 and 8, the the hold that the devil has on us. Anytime we fall into the pattern of sin, we are admitting we don't fully understand what Jesus did for us on the cross. I I can't hold up, I can't. The law of God demands you have to do something the law of god demands you do something and we fail but the love of god says i did something and i have succeeded that's what christ has done when he said it's finished i finished every work that is demanded of you because you can't do it and christ has fulfilled it and we're forgiven what was done is the payment of sin by the way that's a singular sense the payment of sin that is the nature of sin and we talk about sins you know you see that sometimes in the scripture you see the the word singular sin that's our nature then you see the words the word sins the plurality of sins one guy describes it as that's the fruit of right, that hangs from the root. The root is sin. We are by nature sinners. And sins are the fruit that hangs as a result. Jesus was manifest to stop the fruit, right, because we have now a new nature. So we don't have to hang sin. We can hang the fruit of righteousness because of Christ in me. Warren Wearsby said, Sins are the fruit. Sins, plural. The fruit. Sin, that's the root. That's the nature that we have to deal with. To commit or practice sin is the natural expression of our sin nature. Paul admitted that sin remains with us. That's back in Romans chapter 7. If you have any question about what he's saying here, John is saying. There is no conflict between the two. They're balancing. There's an understanding as you read both. And you go back to Romans chapter 7. And he says the old nature still remains with us. Sin is basically a matter of the will. Now stay with me. I'm not saying that you can will yourself to heaven. I'm not suggesting that. Or you can will yourself to do better. But it's because of the Holy Spirit in you. Now, Now you have a different choice that you can make. Without the Holy Spirit you don't have a choice. Oh, you might be a good person, but you don't have a choice about about how you can respond. So again, when John says in verse 6, if you abide in Christ, you won't sin, he's not suggesting. He's not suggesting you'll be sinless, but you'll want less to sin. If you've been a Christian for very long, you know that more and more, or I should say less and less, do you desire the things of the world. Oh, you still fail, right? You're still, you've still got the tendencies. You, but less and less, less and less. You want less to satisfy the desires of this world, and you want more. You want more and more to please God the Father through the Son that lives in you. Well, the demands of righteousness have been fulfilled. Notice also that the hold of the devil has been destroyed. The contrast there in verse 5 is between Christ, who has no sin, Verse 8, the devil who can do nothing but sin. Right? The origin of this man of sin, Satan, a little bit of a mystery. He's evidently one of the highest orders of angels placed over the earth who then led a rebellion against God. Thought he, could, he, thought he knew better. I know you've never felt that way. But the devil thought, you know, I, I, I know better. I, I got a plan. Let's try this out. And he led a rebellion. We know his reign is not eternal, nor is he all-powerful. Now listen to this. He is limited only by the number of followers he can get. He is neither all-powerful, he is not eternal, his reign is limited, and he has power only by those he gets to do his bidding. Peter warned, be sober, be vigilant, because the adversary of the devil, as a roaring lion is walking about seeking whom he may devour, to get you to do the thing, He's looking, which is why Jesus came to destroy the works of the devil, the destroyer, by breaking the power of sin and life. Now, some clever person might say this Why then, when Christ died on the cross, did he not just right then bind up Satan and cast him right then into the bottomless pit? Now, you read Revelation or other places, and you know that that's going to happen one day. So, why didn't he just do it then? What difference would that have made? Now think about this, if you say that, to understand that even if the devil were bound today, cast into the bottomless pit, we are still sinners by nature. The only way that sin could be totally annihilated, not just bind up Satan and cast him into the bottomless pit, but he'd have to cast every one of us into the pit of hell. That's the only way sin would be eradicated. Because we are, by nature, sinners. And by nature, I'm going to make the wrong choice. I'm going to follow the wrong. See, the devil sets a trap, doesn't he? The devil sets a trap. But the trap is lifeless until what? That looks pretty good, right? Boom, and now he's got us. And now we're falling into the trap of sin. Don't let yourself be deceived any longer. God the Son died for you.
1: Well, there's one last
0: distinction. First, we know God the Father loves me, right? Verse three verses, then fourth and following through eight, we know that God the Son sent his son to die for me, and now number three, God the Holy Spirit, lives in me. I kind of alluded to it, but we see it now, in verse nine, whosoever is born, how do we is born so this seed how did the how did the Christ come into this world by the seed by the holy spirit how did Christ raised from the dead by the Holy Spirit. So this seed, whosoever is born of God does not commit sin, for his seed remaineth in him, and he cannot sin, get away with it, live in a pattern of sin, have no conviction about it, because he's what? He's born of God. Now in this, the children of God are manifest, made known, and the children of the devil, likewise, made known. Whosoever doeth righteousness, or doeth not righteousness, is not of God, Neither he that loveth not his brother. Remember the word commit is to practice or abide in sin. It is by nature the the root of who we are. So the only way to keep from acting in this old nature, keep from hanging the old fruit that we talked about, is to empower a new nature, and that is by the seed in us that remains in us to produce now new fruit. Fruit of the Spirit, right? We call it that, fruit of the Spirit. It's the same seed giving life to the Christ child, giving life to the resurrected Savior. It's the Spirit of God that guides us into all truth, is forever with us. John 14, 15, 16. Without the Spirit of God, you'll always eventually default to the old nature that you have from birth by way of Adam. By this new seed, we're born of God. We have a new nature, a new new root, right? That allows us to hang different fruit. Not only does the Spirit of God give you option to please God, but it simply will not allow you to commit sin, practice sin, and get away with it. You ever had that still, small voice saying, ah, don't do it, don't do it, don't do it. <laughs> then why did you do it? This is the Holy Spirit now working. Right? You don't need the preacher. I'm not a policeman. I'm not, a, I'm, I'm not your policeman. No, you've got the Holy Spirit now. He works in you. He convicts you. He, he helps you understand the Word of God. Without the Holy Spirit, you might pretend for a time, but eventually you always the truth is always going to come out. By the Holy Spirit, given unto us an exceeding great precious promise that you would be partakers of the divine nature, 2 Peter chapter 1. Jesus said, except a man be born of water and of the Spirit, water and the Spirit, then you cannot enter the kingdom of God. Simple. Whatever feeds the flesh is of the flesh. Whatever feeds the Spirit is of the Spirit. Like the old converted Indian He described it as two dogs living in him who are always fighting, two natures in us. He described it as two dogs living in us. And he said, the one that wins is the one I feed. You feel like a defeated Christian? Well, you've been feeding the flesh. Or at the very least, you've not been feeding the spirit as you should
1: The Word of God is your
0: food. The Spirit of God is your guide. If you have no desire to read God's Word or you've been trying to read God's Word, you've been trying to do the right thing, you just keep failing. You are at very least a weak Christian or perhaps you're no child of God at all because the Holy Spirit isn't in you. The birth parents, the new nature, water and the Word. I read it in John 3. The water and the Word. That's the word of God. Water is the word. And the spirit is the Holy Spirit by which we have now a new nature. The old nature is given life by the flesh and the devil. But make no mistake about it. The devil cannot make you do anything. The devil cannot make you. Can't do it. Can't make you do anything. He baits his trap. Right? I mentioned it earlier. The only thing free of this attraction is the spirit of God. A Sunday school teacher was kind of trying to explain these two natures, and you know as as you ever see, you ever you ever try to teach kids, and you, sometimes you see the wheels turning right? you think and after a little bit of thought, one girl kind of responded this way she said, "When temptation comes knocking at my door, who I send to answer will make all the difference in the world now think about it." When you've got a temptation in your life, who do you send to answer the door? Don't fight it in the flesh. Don't respond in the flesh. Don't do it. Send the Spirit, the Holy Spirit. That's what's going to make all the difference in the world. Well, two things will reveal the unbeliever. John is saying for us here, two things are going to, I mentioned already down at the end of verse 10, two things. One, number one, he cannot sustain his righteous life that he's been attempting, he's just going to give up. That's the unbeliever. He's just going to give up. Or eventually he's going to find it impossible to get along with people down at that church. I just don't understand what they're doing. And eventually they're just going to walk away. Give up, walk away. He will eventually become disillusioned by circumstance. Didn't work out the way he thought it should. I thought you said if I accepted Jesus Christ, I'd get out of prison in three years instead of, you know, a hundred years. There's plenty of guys in prison today that aren't getting out early because they've accepted Christ. Just because you accepted Christ doesn't mean everything's going to work out the way you thought it should. Right? Consider these distinctions. You've seen them. You've heard them. And I answer these questions that I put with them. God the Father loves you. Do you still live in fear that he will one day judge you? Or knowing that you will stand before him, you just don't want to disappoint him. God the Son died for you. Do you find yourself still fighting a defeated enemy? Or do you know that Christ is the victor, having paid the penalty, the payment for your sin? And God the Holy Spirit lives in you. Do you find yourself always taking the bait? Or do you send the Holy Spirit to answer the door? Are you born of God? Do you know God as revealed in his son Jesus Does his spirit live in you? Do you know that? Do you know my Jesus? Revealed in this book. I've got a different name because of what Christ has done. I'm not perfect. And you said, I know that for sure. (laughs) But neither are you. But we're genuine. That's all we're trying to do. Just be genuine to this name, Christian, follower of Christ. Would you pray with me? Dear Heavenly Father, we thank you that we can come to you because of your son Jesus. And we communicate to you on a regular basis through the spirit of God that dwells in us. And so, dear Heavenly Father, we're not afraid of you. But we live in fear that we might greatly disappoint you. You have forgiven us. You've transposed us from the world that we live in to a world that is yet to come. Help me to live like it.
1: Help me to live in such a way that
0: that people will know where I'm headed, who I follow, whose child I am. When temptation comes my way, help me, dear Jesus. Help me, dear Jesus, to send the Holy Spirit to answer the door.